Turn into 1 Peter chapter 4. We're nearing the end of our study in the letter uh, from Peter to believers who were scattered abroad because of suffering and persecution that they were enduring for being Christians. We are studying what it means to be an alien in this life, a stranger. Some of you are stranger than others. We've already covered that, but uh, right? What does it mean to live as an alien in a, in a place that's not our home? That's what Peter's addressing. I've really enjoyed this study. We've got just a few sermons left, but um, there's been a lot of topics that Peter has covered in relation to that very subject of how to navigate life. How do you live your life as a believer in an unbelieving world, you could say. And so there's been a lot of different ways that Peter has approached that. Some of those ways he's repeated. But a lot of it, if you see, is, has to do with suffering. What's a Christian do when he suffers because he's a Christian? What about persecution? What about how the world treats you? And this morning, that's the topic that Peter's covering. I'd like to just take a moment to pray and ask God to really use this passage this morning. This topic is near and dear to my heart, and I pray that it's communicated in the way that God wants it communicated this morning. So would you bow with me, and let's just ask our Father for that help today. God, you are a heavenly Father. We are your children. We are absolutely dependent on you for everything in life. As Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so help us to approach this time in your word today understanding that, that we need you today. We may have even heard this passage before. We may have studied this passage before. But without the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit, we can't understand. Without the work of your Spirit through your word this morning, we can't apply correctly what Peter has written here for us. So God, we just come with open hands and open hearts and open ears saying, we're ready to receive it. Show me, God. Show me where I, I need to see you and to see your heart for the world, your heart for the body of Christ and how I might be transformed as a result of that. So we're looking forward to what you're going to do in our lives this morning. We pray these things, we ask these requests in the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, I think Peter's probably one of my favorite uh, apostles, uh, probably because I can relate to Peter the most, I think. You know, Peter was kind of one of those disciples that was, uh, wore his emotions on his sleeves, uh, or sleeve. Did they wear sleeves back then? I'm kidding, I don't know. But you know what I mean, and I'm kind of that way. You, you know, he kind of can always read me and read my body language sometimes because you can just know what I'm feeling. I'm just that wired that way. But, you know, Peter, he usually found himself running ahead of Jesus, right, trying to, to deal with things, or he typically was the first to speak up uh, when something wasn't right, or if he had a question, or he was the first to, to th throw down for Jesus, right? <laughs> He's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to go to fisticuffs here for Jesus, you know. That was Peter. He's just rushing ahead, and he's just ready to fight, and he's just really passionate about Jesus, He's passionate about other people knowing Jesus, right? And he, he just wanted others to have that, that passion that he had for the Lord themselves. And maybe you feel that way 
also that you love the Lord and you just want other people to love the Lord like you do and experience the abundant life and all the blessings that come with knowing Christ. And we just have that desire. I hope we do. That was Peter. He was passionate about that. And if you felt, though, that somebody else wasn't as passionate about Jesus or have the same passion for following Jesus as he did, there were times when Peter's passion or his heart would overrule his head and it'd get him into a little trouble, right? Peter was known for that. And so there were times when Peter started uh, becoming too interested or too concerned about what everyone else was doing or how well they may have been following Jesus. And Jesus would pull Peter aside and say, Peter, listen, let's get back to the main person that Peter should be responsible for and concerned with, and that's Peter. There's an occasion where this happens in John chapter 21. If you recall, this was portion of John is when Peter had just been restored to Jesus after his epic failure of denying Jesus three times, right? So, Mr. I'll die for you, Jesus, became, I don't know who you're talking about, you know, guy, Jesus. And then at the beach there, Jesus made breakfast. It was nice. The sun was shining. I don't know, but... Jesus pulled Peter along and said, hey, do you love me? Right, three times. And restored Peter. Well, this occasion then, just after that, the disciples are around. And Jesus looks to Peter and he starts talking about the type of death that Peter would die for following Jesus. And the things that he would suffer. And Peter's like, really? (laughs) And he's like, um... In typical Peter fashion, started scanning around the the area and looking at the other disciples, looking at John, and he's like, hey, Lord, what about this guy? (laughs) That's really what it says. What about this guy? What about John? Is he going to die too? What are are the other guys going to have to suffer? And Jesus responded with the phrase that I think every one of us as followers of Jesus really would be wise to hear and understand because it's true for all of us. John 21, 21 and 22. Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. In other words, Peter, mind your own business. Isn't that such a lovely, inviting sermon title this morning? Peter, mind your own business. Yeah, I think it's natural for us as humans to be curious. We want to know sometimes details or the inside scoop on what's happening or what's going on wherever, behind closed doors, other people's lives. It's actually like a a billion-dollar industry today, right? Uh, Growing up, we had the National Enquirer. Is that still around? Probably. But do you remember the the slogan that they had? If you do, you can say it with me, but... uh, Inquiring minds want to know. And there's that goofy lady, I want to know. Anyway, inquiring minds want to know. That's not a bad thing to have an inquiring mind. You know, our oldest, uh, Zach, when he was, you know, four or five years old, he didn't know anything because he's asking questions. Why is the grass green? You know, why is the sky blue? And you're like, dude, you're four. Don't you know anything yet? Anyway, inquiring minds are a good thing. But I think when we drill down and we say, 
what do I need to know and why do I need to know it? I think that's an important question to ask ourselves when we're talking about being a follower of, of Jesus Christ. Because as a follower of Jesus, our ambition in life is to live out God's will for our lives. And so it's important that we have to understand if I really want to please God with my life, and I want to live out His, lil, His will for my life, I really have to mind my own business and follow Him. Now I want to give a little caveat here to this. You know, this, this uh, message and, and the subject that we're addressing today isn't all-encompassing. I realize there may be different scenarios where there are things that we do need to know, and so please understand, I'm not trying to cover this topic in its entirety, but there's a message here that I think is important for us. If we want to live that abundant life, we want to follow Jesus passionately, we want the world also to know Jesus and follow him with their lives, we need to focus in on this for ourselves. First Peter 4, 4 through 11 this morning, I want to read that as we begin. Verse 4 says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Just two points this morning. I finally realized I probably should just do two points. I'm getting tired of putting four and covering two. Two points, though, about how we then live our lives out as followers of Jesus, as aliens, strangers in this world. Number one is we need to see what God's business is. What is God's business? Verses four through six, Peter's picking up where he had just left off, or I'm picking up where Peter left off, actually. But he says with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join in with them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So if you recall from last week, or if you look just pat, uh, previous to this part of the scripture, Peter is just exhorting these believers to don't, don't join in with, with the pagans and their pagan lifestyle. Don't, don't join in with them and do what they do. The pagans, the unbelievers, another word for unbelievers, they live by the lust of their flesh. They indulge in all kinds of sinful behaviors. Behaviors, actually, that many of these Christians 
once indulged in themselves. And we have to keep that in mind that such were some of these guys, right? And we also got to keep in mind that, you know, when we think of the fleshly behaviors, don't you just automatically go to, to sexual things, right? I mean, that seems to be the tendency. But we're not just talking about sexual sins, sexual inappropriate behaviors. It can be really any desire that we have where we are tempted to gratify that desire, that fleshly desire, through sinful means. You know, we could desire money. Is it wrong to desire money? No, I hope not, because I'd be living in sin. I, I desire money, right? There's nothing wrong to desire money. But if I gratify that desire for money through lying or cheating or stealing to get it, then it's become sinful. I, I, we desire to be heard sometimes. And so we sometimes gratify that desire to, to be heard by raising our voice to our spouse or to our children. We desire to control. And so maybe we manipulate or co coerce others to get them to do what we want to do. It's not just sexual lust. It's lust of the flesh. It's desires that we have for things and taking sinful means to accomplish that. So the desire itself isn't always sinful. I hope we understand that. It could even be a good desire. But when we allow that fleshly desire to control our eyes to see things we shouldn't see, when that fleshly desire uh, controls our uh, ears to listen to things that we should not hear, when that fleshly desire drives us to go places where our feet should not go, then we are indulging in the flesh and we've entered into sin. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said in Ephesians 2, uh, 2 and verse 3, he said, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. So we all struggle with this. Paul understood that. Peter understood it. Do you understand that this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ? You still struggle with that. Oh, it's not easy. I mean, that's actually a, a continual day-to-day -day war that rages inside of all of us. The spirit against the flesh. Romans talks all about that. But, you know, that's why Peter was writing. Reminding them that it is not easy. He said... When, when they see that you're not joining in, they're going to malign you. They're going to laugh at you. Peter already told them in, in chapter 2, if you recall this verse, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying in verse 4 through 6 that gratifying the passions and desires of our flesh is something that characterizes people who don't know God. It's, it's hard enough to learn how to control our own fleshly desires, let alone when people try to persuade us to join them in those things, or they laugh at us when we don't join in, right? It's hard. No one said it would be easy. Doesn't that sound like peer pressure? Well, it may because it is. Peer pressure is not just for teenagers. 
It's a pressure from the world that we live in that we're going to encounter every day the rest of our lives. It's a pressure from outside, and it's, and it's a, a pressure from inside, from the flesh. It wages war against our soul. So here's one way that's going to help us in our effort to say no to the flesh. That was last week. Say no to the peer pressure of the world around us. Here's what we can do. Start with this. Let God be God and you do you. Let God be God and you be you. I think that's what Peter is essentially saying in verse 4. Everyone in the world will give an account of their lives to God one day. God will judge them. God will judge us. We are not responsible for them or how they choose to live their lives. We are responsible for ourselves and how we choose to live our life. Peter's term for judge here, when he says God will judge, looks at the sentencing phase of the court case rather than determining innocence or guilt. He says the living and the dead, and that includes all of mankind. The eminence of the day of judgment is described by the word ready. It can come at any time. God stands poised, ready to judge humanity. And as he says, that's the purpose of the gospel. So that every person will be held accountable before God. Isn't that what Romans tells us in the first chapters? Everyone is without excuse before God because God has and will tell all of mankind about His love and about His justice. That's God's job. He will make sure that every person receives His word. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12. This is a, a great verse for us to understand this. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. I think that's an excellent verse. Verses. So worrying about or concerning ourselves with everyone else's choices in life and the way they choose to live is not our concern. It's not our job to judge other people and their choices and their lifestyles. It's just not. That's God's job. It's not only not our concern, but when you think about it, it's really detrimental to our walking with Jesus. Meddling in others' business, getting upset about what other people are doing or how they're choosing to live our lives really causes nothing but unnecessary anger and anxiety in our hearts. Have you noticed this? <laughs> Pull up behind uh, some bumper stickers. I mean, look at the debauchery. But no, I mean, you ever see the, you know, the anti-Christian bumper stickers? You know, it's all fiction, you know, uh, evolution. You know, you, sometimes you see these advertisements or bumper stickers. Green Bay Packers, God help them. <laughs> Sorry for any Packers fans, Russell. Anyway, um, but we have, it, 
It fires us up a little bit, doesn't it? Rightfully so. But I think what we choose to do with the fleshly desires that a lot of times follow the offense that we've taken is the important thing. The, I think the internal response, you know, we can't help that, right? You see something, it's like, whoa, you know, or go to Walmart. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, when you see something and it's like, it's offensive and it rubs you wrong and our tendency is to want to respond, react. I think our response internally and our reaction um, are different things. We can't always help the way we just kind of automatically respond. I think we can grow in that. But, but getting upset, getting irritated, getting frustrated, what, you, what we decide to do with those feelings is absolutely related to our personally following Jesus with our life. Will we gratify our desires to show them the wrong? It's like the uh, Jesus fish sticker that's eating the Darwin fish. That'll show them, you know. Uh, right? Uh, will we follow our lust to put them in their place? Will we allow our hearts to be filled with anger and resentment? Or will we, by, by God's grace and His mercy and His power in us, trust God will judge those Packer fans one day? Right? It, God will judge. Jesus didn't even come in the world to judge the world, but to save it. Will I then just let God be God? I'll end with this point with an illustration from the life of, of two of Jesus' disciples, James and John. So Jesus is kind of like in the throes of ministry, super busy all day, healing people, preaching, traveling, exhausting as you can imagine. Jesus then decides it's that time in his ministry to head to Jerusalem. And we all know what that means. We don't know what awaited him in Jerusalem. But what he did was he sent some messengers ahead of him to a little village of Samaritans to make arrangements for his posse to, you know, to stop there overnight. Hey, go ahead and make some arrangements for Jesus and his, uh, his disciples. Well, I don't know if you know this, but the Jews and Samaritans had a long history. A long feud that they held that lasted several hundred years, actually. And they just didn't like each other. There were different nationalities, different religions, different political views, I imagine, and so on. Didn't like each other. They would avoid each other at all costs. So when word got back that the Samaritans wouldn't make arrangements for Jesus and his posse because they were heading to Jerusalem, James and John were infuriated. Jesus, can you believe these Samaritans? Just what I thought. They ain't got time for you, you know? Now listen to James and John's plan. <laughs> You've heard this. I found an old picture that reminds me of a flannel graph picture, but here we go. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, right? Woo, yeah, Jesus. We can relate though, right? If we're honest, we can relate. It's a great plan. 
They rejected Jesus. Let's wipe them out. John, I'll grab the sticks. You grab the marshmallows. Let's go roast some pagans. I don't know. You read that and you think, wow. But let's just be honest with ourselves for a moment, can we? In our spirit, in the deepest recesses of our being, when we see or hear of someone who is rejecting Jesus, either by their lifestyle or their words or their choices, our reaction is probably not too far off from this at times. But listen to what Jesus said. Luke 9, he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. That's good. Jesus said, hey, disciples, you don't know what kind of spirit you have. Because it surely isn't my spirit. It's not my heart. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save it. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. And as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of me, you need to have the same spirit that I have. You need to see the world as I see the world. As people who I'm about to die for. Jesus had a spirit of compassion. Jesus had a spirit of patience of love for the world. His disciples had a spirit of vengeance and intolerance and hatred for anyone not like them. So what did Jesus tell them essentially? Mind your own business. Haters going to hate. Don't be a hater. That's the contemporary vernacular. Anyway, don't worry about the haters. Worry about you. I think there's an old uh, philosophical saying that comes to mind. What is it again? Oh yeah, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> right? So Christians, fathers of Jesus, Burleson Bible Church, this is really, you know, this is really just for us. And I know we struggle with this. I, I know a lot of you do because I do. And I think we're, we all in this camp in some way, shape, or form. We have to look at the world like Jesus looks at the world. We have to understand God and his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his sovereignty. There will be a time for that. He will, he will come to judge the world. And the spirit we should have isn't, boy, wait until God shows you. Is that really, is that really what we want? We want to rain fire from heaven. What if God intends to save them, which he does? What if his desire that all would come to repentance and all would be saved and not perish? That's what, that's what God said. Do we want all to know Jesus? I think it's a, a challenging uh, thought for us this morning. But that's God. Leave God's business to God. What's our job? Well, Peter goes on to say in verses 7 through 11 what our business is, my business. He says, the end of all things is near, or the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly or fervently since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one's received a gift, use that gift to serve one another. As a good steward of God's varied grace, if you speak, speak the oracles of God. If you serve as one who does it by the strength that God supplies, that in everything we do, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because to Him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's our business. Here's what God tells us as as followers of Jesus. What should concern ourselves? What is my business? What does God have for me in my life? And He also tells us why. Well, here's just a a quick list that I kind of pulled out of here. But number one, He says, you know, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's referring to one that's sensible, who's reasonable. He retains a a clear mind. Sober-minded is in there as well. But we exercise balance and self-control in the way we respond and react to things, to people, to circumstances, situations. We grow in that, in our self-control. We don't fly off the handle. Keep your cool. Keep your cool. Be sober-minded. It's kind of the one uh, phrase there, but don't be swept away by your emotions and your passions. That's what that means. Think about it. Love one another. Fervently, he adds that word, that qualifier. And this is a constant and an intense love that is expressed by our attitudes and our actions. We don't have fervent love. We can't fervently love someone just in word. It needs to be expressed, and that's what he's talking about. Hospitality is a good example of that. How do you know when you're loving God and loving God's people the way that God wants you to? Well, you're showing hospitality. It doesn't mean you're always opening your home. Our house is a zoo, literally. <laughs> we got dogs and like people getting bit, so we're like, all right, we got to Let's invite the troubling church members over. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But it just means that you're expressing love because you're looking out for somebody. You're thinking about them. You know, share a meal with somebody. Spend some time with uh, welcome people. It's a sacrificial giving of yourself is what hospitality is and your resources. And he says to do it without complaining. Thanks, Lord. It's hard enough. (laughs) And then he says, use your gifts. Every one of us has a spiritual gift. If the moment you believed in Jesus for eternal life, boom, the Spirit of God gave you a gift or gifts that he wants to use in your life to minister to other people. We all, no one's exempt from that if you know the Lord. We all have a gift or gifts. And he says, be a good steward of it. Don't waste it. Don't neglect it. Use it. Use it well for the glory of God, for the benefit of the church. And then he says why. Here's why. If this is ever a motivation for doing anything God tells you to. The end is near. Well, what end? The end to which everything is moving according to the plan of God. 
The next thing to take place in our understanding of prophecy or future things is the return of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus returns, then the time will come for God to judge all mankind. And when he says that the end is near, he's communicating the idea that it's drawn near and everything is in place for that to happen. It has this idea of eminency, which means it can happen at any moment. Jesus could return at any moment, and he calls us, be ready. There's nothing more, listen, there's, as far as I, my understanding of, of prophecy, and I think a lot of folks in dispensational churches, there's nothing more in the prophetic timetable that has to take place before Jesus will return. It's all in place. And it's all in place for judgment to begin. There will be no signs in the sky. There's no major events that are going to tip off uh, his return. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. And he said he'll come like a thief in the night. If he tipped us off, he said, look for these signs, then you'll know I'm coming. You know what we would do? We'd go fishing, you know, until we saw the sign. And we're like, woo, it used to be a bumper sticker that says, "Look look busy, the Lord's returning, you know. Don't look busy, be busy, you know. And when Jesus returns this time, folks, it's not to save the world. It's to judge it. And so there is a time where God will bring every life into account before him. The life that God gave them, the opportunity that God gave them, the light that God gave them, they will be responsible for. And this includes every single one of us in this room. This includes the believers in Jesus, as well as those who have rejected him. God will judge both believers and unbelievers when the time comes. But know this, God starts with us. Peter's going to say that a little later. We'll get to that next week, I think. But it starts with the household of God. Because the first judgment is known as the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. Where all of us as believers in Jesus will stand before God alone. And we will give an account of our life. So if that's true, and it is, what should be our main concern in life? What should consume our thoughts and our priorities, and what should direct our lives if that is true, that at any moment, the day will come. Do you know what should consume us? That day, right? The day. Preparing for the day. How do you prepare for the day? Mind your own business. (laughs) I say that very sarcastically, but I mean that in all uh, sincerity. Man, I laid awake at night thinking about this message. I do that sometimes when I'm preparing. You know, I've been studying something all week and, you know, so going to bed at night when I'm just alone in my thoughts, thinking about this message. And God really impressed on me one part that I, I just glossed over. 
that I think is really significant, and God just kind of hit me with it one night. Found in verse 7, Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. I like the way the New King James renders it. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. That's the idea. Take seriously the return of Jesus because the world doesn't. And when you take serious the return of Je- the imminent return of Jesus Christ, it drives you to pray. It drives you to be sober-minded and serious about your life and about that day and when God will give us an evaluation, a judgment of our life. And I think prayer is just a way of showing God that we do mean business. We are coming to Him more often. We are calling out to Him. We are saying, God, please help me. Change me. Give me your heart. Transform my mind. Help me to see the world as you see it. Help me to see myself as you see me. Help me to see my brethren as you see them. And we're saying when we pray, God, I know you hold time and eternity in your hands. You hold it. You know the beginning from the end. You know when your time is, is going to come. And Lord, I, I know you can move in powerful ways. God, I know you can work in mysterious ways. I know you can reach my lost family. I know you can, you can reach the heart of, of the sinful people in my community. I know that you have power to reach any lost person. Your arm is not too short that you cannot save. That's what prayer does. It starts focusing on God's job and praying that He would do His work in me and in the world around me. Help me, Lord, to know what matters most in my life. I struggle with this all the time. That's why I'm like Peter so much. I just tend to run ahead and I tend to get bothered by things and I'm minding everyone else's business and God is just impressing on me. That is not your business. I heard a song just this past week that I'd never heard before. It came out about two years ago. It's called Keep Me in the Moment by Jeremy Camp. And I just thought the lyrics were fitting to the point of this message. And... Here's how it goes, the chorus. Singing, O Lord, keep me in the moment. Help me to live with my my eyes wide open. Because I don't want to miss what you have for me. Singing, O Lord, show me what matters. Throw away what I'm chasing after. Because I don't want to miss what you have for me. How often do we miss what God has for us? I was just sharing this week with someone about God's purpose for us in this world. And I said, do you know what the main purpose that God has for us in this world? It's not to serve God. It's not to reach the world for Christ. Those are great things and those are on the list. The main thing that God has, the main purpose he has for me and you as children of God in this world 
is to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Become more like Jesus, me. God has not called us to be law enforcement. God has not called us to judge. God has not called us to pray for the destruction of all that don't know him. God's called us, as he did Peter, you just follow me. Help us to do that. Father, thank you for this message. God, I understand there's a lot in this passage that could be talked about. But this is the emphasis that you laid on my heart because we are here for that purpose. How else will you receive the glory and the honor and praise if it doesn't come from a transformed life? And so, Lord, I pray for every heart here. I know that I struggle with this, and I'm trying to grow in this. Lord, I'm asking you to change me and to help me in, in how I see people and problems and evil in the world. And it's not good, and it's not right. Help me to be sober-minded, self-controlled. Learn to, to pray and to trust you to do your work and your time and to worry about me and just following you, becoming like you. You didn't come to judge and condemn and to ruin lives. You came to give light and life. And you've told us in your word, this is how the world will know that we belong to you by our love for one another and even for the world. God, I just want to just pray for all of my family and friends that do not know you. And my tendency is to write them off sometimes or to be uh, offended by their lifestyles or things that they post or say or the ways that they live. I, God, help me to trust you. To look for how you're working in my life. And so that maybe even through me, you might show them grace and compassion and love if there's an opportunity. But Lord, help us as a church to understand this so that when the day comes, we will be rewarded for how we obeyed you and allowed your spirit to transform our minds, transform our behavior, transform our speech that it would honor you and draw people to you. We need you, God, for every part of this, and we know that that's a prayer that you will answer every time. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.